Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Chris Sinclair, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison. Homie, what is up? How are we doing this evening? I think we're doing good, bud. It's a it's a little bit of a different situation. We're actually recording on Zoom tonight, so we can actually see each other's faces, which is a nice change up from what we've been doing for the past 11 months. So uh, I'm excited about that. We have a couple cues that we're going to try to hit for for our music because we have to insert it after so we put all this effort into planning over the past you know seven weeks and then it's like second week into the new season we're like we're trying something different so just kind of standard standard operating procedure for uh for the good bottle podcast but we have some really really fun stuff to talk about tonight we're gonna we're gonna talk about how uh different champagne makers are reaching out to new uh customers and selling online we're also going to talk about some big, big moves in the uh, financial aspects of, of the liquor industry and one of the biggest valuations that we've ever seen. And um, we are joined by, I think mutually, one of our favorite people in the world. She is a longtime industry professional. She is a proud new owner of a sleep number bed, and she is currently <laughs> the Northern California ambassador for Fortaleza Tequila. Our guest tonight is Christina May Padilla, our favorite person. Christina, thank you so much for joining us. What are you drinking? And tell us a little bit about yourself or tell our listeners a little bit about you because we know you, but our listeners need to know you now. I don't know your life. You guys probably know far more than a lot of people. Um, I am currently sipping on some Fortaleza Blanco uh, mixed with coconut water, soda water, and honey syrup. I'm calling it the water up. Uh as like an homage to Guillermo Sousa himself, who constantly reminds everyone while drinking to water up. And, what are and who, you is, who is Guillermo? Just for oh, he would be all. the owner of Tequila Fortaleza. Oh, that's a good person to know. What's his last name? I, yeah, Sousa. Oh, just for those of you who didn't know, uh, you know, Sousa is a tequila brand. I'm not sure a lot of you guys knew <laughs> that, but I just figure I would clarify Correct. for the noobs. The noobs. What is in your glass, Mr. Sinclair? Oh, I'm drinking wine. Thank you for asking. That's very mm-hmm. kind of you. Uh, I am drinking uh, some local Pinot Grigio. It is uh, delightful. Uh, it is made by Silt Winery. Uh, it is. Uh, uh, it comes from the Delta, so it's part of that Clarksburg AVA. Uh, AVA being an American viticultural area. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying life. That's, it's, it's pretty great. I, uh, it's got a delightful bouquet and <sighs> it gurgles nicely. Mm, fantastic. Mm. What about you, Drew? Uh, I am actually sipping on some sparkling wine tonight. And oh, you fancy. I, yeah, I am. And I made this decision for for a couple of reasons. Um, one is I knew that we were going to be talking champagne in one of the stories tonight. And the other was earlier today, 
there was this little impromptu Zoom meeting amongst a bunch of uh, some of the industry guys that I haven't seen in a while. And it was really fun to jump on it, but it was also during dinner. And I felt like I kept getting dagger looks from my wife. So I was like, you know what we should do, babe? We should open up some um, sparkling wine right now. And so um, we did, and it really helped smooth out some of those wrinkles. And so it's the it's from the Gruet Winery. And what's really interesting about this is, so I'm sure you guys have picked up on, I was talking about it being a sparkling wine and not necessarily a champagne. It's from New Mexico. And I was completely unaware that New Mexico was a, had a wine producing region and one that is actually really solid. And so this family uh, actually was producing wine and champagne in France uh, for a very long time and then decided to come over to America and do some expansion from their winery there. So, so they've been, they started it in 1984 and had their first release in 1987 and continue to put out really, really fun stuff. And, um, you know, this has been a, a year long journey of different wines and in particular sparklings and champagnes and trying to grow my appreciation for them. And this is another lovely, lovely addition to that. So, so yeah, here's my question: uh, as as a self-proclaimed uh, foreign wine drinker, uh, as you are, <laughs> Drew, uh, does this does this change your opinion? Are you are you on the domestic wine train now? No, definitely not on domestic, and I'll and I'll tell you why. It's not as good as the stuff I have been drinking. It's good. It's better than what I was drinking, but given the choice, I'm still very much so drinking things that are overseas. And I'm trying to, you know, expand into more of the domestic stuff and do a little bit more of my due diligence. And there's of course exceptions there, but I am still very, very on the the imports side of, of the wine trade because it's just, I've, I've found it to be much, much more enjoyable and a little bit more consistent because I, I feel like to a certain extent, um, the better stuff makes it over. You know, it's a lot easier to get crappier offerings when it's in your home country. It's kind of like my theory when it comes to the BBC. I think we get the best of the BBC, which is why it's such a great television station. Because you're like, this is the best of what they have to offer. That's why we get to see it. (laughs) And I feel the same way about their booze right now, at least with wine. You know, it's really funny about that is a lot of people I talk to feel exactly the opposite. They feel like... um we don't get the best stuff that you have to travel in order to get the best stuff because they do do not send the best stuff to the United States. Uh, well, I mean, it very well could be a situation that the bar was so low for me that I feel like I'm getting the best and I haven't traveled to Europe. So I don't know how much better it can be. I could very well turn into that person once I actually go there. I am. Uh, I'm willing to put money on the fact that you will turn into that person, and it's going to be really obnoxious for me to have to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> Great. I'm totally fine with that. Um, but uh, but you know what? I I think it's I think it's time for for us to uh, give some opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. So uh, our first our first story has to do with actually European wines, and in particular, 
Champagne. And what's happening in in France right now is more companies and in particular more champagne companies are adopting a direct to consumer model. And they're doing that through e-commerce. And this is, you know, a lot of these wineries have been around for hundreds of years, but have never really embraced uh, e-commerce. They've always relied on their importers and distributors in order to get their product to consumers. Um, that is now changing. And they're trying to um, fill some of those gaps and connect with people in ways that they never have before. Uh, what they're finding is that a lot of people like this experience. They like one of the things that they're they're trying to do as well is because obviously that's gonna create issues with like, your distributor and your local retailers. So oddly enough, price point so that way they don't upset their local retailers, but they're still finding that people are really embracing it. There's a couple hiccups and things like that. Like they're they're only able to do it locally at this time. But of course, you know, you gotta walk before or you gotta crawl before you walk and, and so on. And not everybody's on board. Someone like one of our favorites, uh Tattinger, no interest at all in doing this. But um, this is something that, you know, you're seeing in France and you're seeing with this established, you know, category such as champagne, but there's also lots of people who are doing it here in the U.S. So, Chris, I'm going to throw this to you first. As a retailer, when you see a lot of these companies start to embrace more of a direct consumer structure, I mean, does that worry you or are you kind of like, cool, that's just another person who's advocating for cool stuff? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, man, I... I, I... I think I, I sit in the the later side um, as someone who who thinks that you know the more advocating that they do the the more liquid to lips that that uh, producers offer um, it just means more opportunities for me to like sell some cool shit especially if they're not like undercutting me uh, my my biggest issue is like a retailer is like dealing with big box stores you know it's less about the supplier and always about other distributors as competitors you know Costco Walmart. Uh, Target, Safeway, so on and so forth. Like, I there's no way I could ever compete with them, and they're national, um, and they just they take margins that make zero sense um, for a small company like mine to to be able to match match up against. Um, you know, all that being said, I um, I don't know, I I. I'm on I'm on the supplier side, like it like in in terms of just survive, you know, do do everything that you can <laughs> just to survive at this point in time. You know, we're all we're all in this, we're all just trying to survive. And if you gotta do what you gotta do, and that's direct to consumer, I know it's not always easy. There's a lot of um a lot there's a lot of red tape you got to get through just to be able to do it and if you're lucky enough to be in california and california consumes it enough on like a national level to be our own to be our own country um right california, california and new york consume more than the rest of the country combined uh individually um so if you're lucky enough to be in california and you don't have to cut through the red tape of like shipping to new mexico and shipping to utah and shipping to texas then good for you if you're like Ruit and you're, you're in new mexico and you have to figure out how to ship to everybody else like that sucks um it, you know just depending on where where a majority of your consumer base is um so i i'm all for it i think you know do what you got to do to survive the world's going to find a way to sort of even even itself out um 
there's going to be, you know, well, well, as long as we can all survive, you know, I don't think a single consumer of just wine selling direct to consumer is, is going to hurt anyone like me. And, and it, if it did, then I would have to seriously look at my business plan. Yeah. Christina, what do you think? Uh, similar to, to Mr. Sinclair there, um, you, you've got to get in where you fit in these days. And if that is providing what these companies need, that's great. My only concern, um, especially during COVID, what I've experienced with uh, delivery companies or services, I would worry who is bringing the booze to me because I, you know, they're using a third party, right? Right. And I've yep. had quite that. a few issues. Explain. Explain. explain oh, right. So you end like up getting concern. a delivery from DHL or, you know, FedEx or something like that, right? Right. Yeah, because I mean, it, a lot of these, you know, the reason that distributors exist is because they have infrastructure established and not just with sales representatives that can go out and talk about your product in addition to other things, but they have the infrastructure of delivering. And so mm-hmm. when you take on this, now, of course, there's there's plenty of people who do do self, self-distribution, you know, you <laughs> see you that. said do-do. Yeah, you see that oh, quite Oh man, a, I was going to say that. You <laughs> say that quite a bit, but, but for sure. And, and this does remind me because there has been a few things that I've, I've sent you Christina over the past 11 months and you always have issues with your delivery people. Like, I don't know what you did to them collectively that they're like, this is the person we mess with, you know, but you're right. Like there's, there's definitely cause for concern. And then if we're talking about something like shipping wine, you have to be concerned about temperature and everything like that as well. If it's sitting in the back of a truck and, you know, 110 degree weather like that, that is a big issue. Right. Uh, and because it is alcohol, you generally need to have a signature, correct? They can't yes. just leave it. Yes. Right. That is so. Okay. So can we all collectively agree that uh, even though that's the rule, uh, it, that very rarely happens. I've had, I've had bottles of booze literally left on my doorstep. Um, maybe oh, like, I've just had maybe my like signature times, signed times. by the driver. <laughs> yeah, I had a we we shipped, yeah I've had I've had multiple multiple things slipped. We shipped six bottles of booze uh, to someone in <sighs> Nevada um, who claimed that they never got them. And there was no signature okay. from from the uh, delivery company, so now we're like kind of SOL because it's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know if you actually did receive them, and you're just saying you didn't get them, right? Uh, uh, so we don't know which, um, which area we're getting screwed in, but definitely getting screwed. I've in. actually sat down. So first, um, someone had shipped me some delicious tequila, right, and. The company said that it was delivered and it was not. And my signature was forged. So they had to resend. And I literally didn't even take a shower. I sat on my couch waiting for this delivery. And as I looked at my email, it all of a sudden changed to delivered with my signature, supposedly. And that was not my signature. So I had to go through the delivery company to figure out where it was. And as I spoke to, you know, the manager or, or whatnot, 
they said, oh, he'll be right there. Then he tried to tell me that he uh, left it at the church next door to my house. The church said that is a lie. (laughs) So in front of God and everyone, this delivery driver (laughs) lied to me. Um, And did finally deliver me the delicious tequila. But I, to this day, have no idea where the first batch went. You probably uh, probably crashed into a tree due to car. <laughs> um, well, okay, so that so... delivery company is not excited when they have to deliver to me. Believe it. Um, so, so question for you. So one of the things that you guys both said is that at a time right now and in the concurrent conditions that we're facing, it's just kind of like do whatever you can to do to survive. Right. As we transition at some point back into normal times, or at least, you know, people can go to bars, people can do this, they can do that. Do you think that this is a model that should remain to be a thing? Should e-commerce from directly from these wineries, craft distilleries, breweries, should this continue to be something that we embrace and encourage more, more brands to do? Chris, how about you start? I have two thoughts. Uh, A, it's too late to choose otherwise. Um, <laughs> you know, like the toothpaste is already out of the tube; can't put it back in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of that in this current environment. You know, like um, bars, uh, bars being able to send cocktails home. You know, with people to go. I, I think mm-hmm. it's 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 already too late for that. You know, it's 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 happened people have already gotten a good taste of the, the sweet nectar and, and they're not going to want to go back um i think secondly I, it's it is a good thing um uh, i i've been someone who has been on the um the side of of distilleries being able to sell out of distilleries and sample out of distilleries and um you know uh, be able to provide the same experience that wineries do. I think that removing that sort of forbidden fruit um, offers not only from a business perspective a um, a little bit of a boon, but I think from a cultural perspective too, I think we like remove a little bit of that forbidden fruit so that way things become a little bit more normalized and we don't have to worry about them as much of people, you know, like people, you know, assuming booze is just all bad and that they're all that they're being naughty when they're drinking and therefore acting naughty when they drink, whether it's a self-fulfilling prophecy or not. Um, But I, 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 from a retailer perspective, I don't see anything wrong with that. In fact, I stand by my, my prior statement, which is, you know, the more that those, those folks suppliers can get their, their booze into other people's hands. um, Mm -hmm then it just makes my job easier. You know, dealing with an educated consumer base is far more lovely than having to fucking walk every <laughs> single human being through what booze mm-hmm. is when they walk through the door. So. Yeah. Right. And Christina, what do you see as the future for this kind of stuff? Uh, I, I agree with the toothpaste is out of the tube. Um, but, you know, at this point, I, whatever whatever works you know whatever is keeping this company going 
Uh, and what I, I do enjoy Chris's sentiment of, of possibly educating uh, customers or, you know, providing a bit more knowledge. But also, it's kind of nice to see people get back in the game in that way. Uh, so they're taking responsibility for their, their product and they're showing pride in it and they want to get it to you. And that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a, that's definitely an element I had never considered before. Right. It's like, you're now you're directly dealing with the customer. You're a little bit more accountable for right. what you're producing and what you're doing, what you're, you know, everything that you're, you become this full service stop, not just promoting to promote it or whatever. Right. So, so not got- relying on others to get it out there. I, I'm, I'm curious, like, um, if this makes sense when we're talking about, like, small producers, you know, when we're talking about, like, Root or talking about, like, uh, Fortalizer or something like that, uh, getting mm-hmm. getting in the hands of, of consumers. Well, what about, what about like, Gallo, right? Like, a, a producer that's just so big that produces so many things. Do you think, like, I, I just don't, I don't see Gallo being able to go direct to consumer, right? Like, there's, they just have so much shit. You know, like you're not getting direct consumer fucking E and J or <laughs> Christian Brothers or whatnot. You know, <laughs> like it's just it's that's not a thing. Um, I think that. But and, that's and also something that, that you can it. find. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna find that at Abevmo. You're going to find that at probably Safeway. <laughs> right, and there, therefore, it still it still necessitates having that retailer um, for them. For, for them to have that vehicle, right? Like that, that's, it remains a necessity. I mean, I think it, I think that still stays in place. I mean, again, maybe this doesn't, you know, I, even in the, even in the article, it pointed out that not everybody's on board with this, you know, like not everybody's interested in taking on this aspect of it. In this situation, Tattinger, right? Tattinger's like, we have our we have our means of distribution. We have all these things in place. They're you know they're of the mindset I would assume is like we make wine, we make champagne. This is what we're doing. We don't we're not going to mess with the other stuff. You know, let that distributor, let those importers, exporters, let them be the experts in that. So I think, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you will. And I'm sure if it if it really did start to become a lot more prevalent within within like, let's say just the state of California. If, if I come in as a distributor to a small craft distillery and we start talking about what we're going to do in, in terms of distribution, my part of my thing to, you know, to protect myself, right. Would be to say, I will distribute your stuff, but you cannot distribute it in California yourself. If you want to sell to other States that I'm not in, go for it, but you can't sell it here because then you're cutting into what my business is and so maybe you see a lot more of that like we actually have a brand that announced today that it's exactly what they're doing they're not selling here in california directly but you can go to their website and with a lot of other different states and buy it that way if you're in a different state so i think you'll see i think you'll see a lot of that kind of stuff as well because again in you know in the article it points out like it needs to make sense like you can't you can't completely take over distribution because you're simply, nobody's built for that, you know? And with that being the case, it's like, these are the concessions that you're gonna have to do. So in their situation, it was, we're gonna be selling higher, 
than what maybe you'll get at a local retailer, which is just crazy to me. Cause it's like, how do you justify that as a, as a consumer? But that, I think that's maybe what you'll see is you'll see different concessions being made and these deals will be worked out to the point where they're not, you know, cannibalizing their own business by self-distributing. You know, as a final point, I, I think, um, you know, we'll never see Bacardi go direct to consumer. You know, you'll never see Jack Daniels go DTC, <laughs> right? Like that's just, you, I can't imagine that in my wallet's dreams um, that the world would change that these global fucking, me, you know, mega brands, mega brands. Yeah. You know, these behemoths that they would, that they would take on that nuance, right? Something that's just so specialized. Their job. I, is, I feel their, like the larger ones don't have like, to, though. Sure, you know, but they're, you know, what they're good at is producing a ton of shit, sending it to their to their distributor, and having that supply chain work in their benefit. You know, if they had to rewrite the entire industry so that way they had to hit every consumer directly, it would never work for them. They'd never be able to do the numbers that they do. So. Yo. <laughs> okay all right we got a little bit of a delay so <laughs> it's no i'm just I'm, I'm curious because this one has to do with with the market and it's the um something that we've talked about before and that is baiju and the chinese giant uh, mutai was just recently evaluated and is uh, going to be entering the market and its valuation that it received was $500 billion. Um, this is absolutely an incredible, incredible number, right, to hear. And this is a spirit that, you know, when we have discussed it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, like, we're, we don't know anything about it. And I know, Christina, you were talking about that earlier when we were texting uh, about Baiju and how it is the most, one of the most consumed products in the world. And uh, no one's ever heard of it. But in this situation, you know, we're really trying to emphasize is that this is a this is a spirits company that's now considered like a blue chip stock, which means this is like a can't miss stock. It's going to continue to grow. It has continued to grow year by year. But also what makes it really different is this is a company that's actually owned by the government of China. And in particular, the local government that's in this area of where it's produced. So, um, Chris, I know that, that there's been a lot of, you know, interest from you on the market side of these kind of things. And when you hear a number like $500 billion for a spirits company, you know, and of one that it's primarily consumed in China, nowhere else. Like, what are your thoughts? What are, what are some of the things that you're thinking of with when it comes to this story? I mean, a number like $500 billion is so outrageous uh, that I have no, my brain kind of turns off, you know. It's like if, if someone were to say, I bet you $50 that this will happen. You're like, okay, well, now I'm listening. Somebody says, I will bet you $3,000 that this will happen. You're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not listening anymore because that's not, that's not real. Uh, so a, a $500 billion company is just like, that's like so outside of my realm of reality. Uh, I put it, I put it there with, you know, in my mind, like Diageo and Pernod Ricard, but clearly like this so far out, outplays all of those. Um, I think that there's, 
there's a potentiality for some uh, market <sighs> um, tinkering, you know, um, it's coming from a, a government owned company looking at a market that is solely solely controlled by the government that also owns that company and what people can get within that market uh i think that there's there's a strong a, a strong possibility that the the numbers are being manipulated in some way for some reason uh that being said <laughs> if all i give a fuck about is is just the numbers and ju and just the 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 upward climb of that of that company and that valuation they did a great fucking job i mean it's just like they're killing it it's odd that you have a communist country caring about uh capitalism but yeah we'll leave that for another time <laughs> yeah so the some of the comparisons that it was drawn to was like apple and um johnson and johnson and things like that like these huge huge companies these valuations and you know, for the for the listeners at home, you know, Baiju is this distilled rice spirit that exists within the country. And we've definitely got a little bit of exposure to it within within the United States, but it's it hasn't been a whole lot. I mean, in 2017, 10.8 billion liters of this was sold in the world. And again, primarily this occurs in China. Um, for comparison's sake. Christina, do you have any idea off the top of your head how many liters Fortaleza went through last year? Um, many. <laughs> was it was it ten point eight billion? No, it was nowhere near that. But we also are a very small brand in comparison to something like that. Um, but also take into account that China has uh, a population that's four times the size of the U.S. Right. And it wasn't, so I mean, it, this wasn't like a knock against Fortaleza. I mean, obviously we're, oh no. we're, we're huge Fortaleza fans. It was just more so trying to give like people an idea of like, Hey, here's this, there's, there's a good chance you've heard of Fortaleza. There's a better chance you've never heard of, of Baiju, you know? <laughs> so right. that's, that's what most of so, us trying to eliminate. So 50,000 cases versus what did you say that they did? Uh, 10.8 billion liters. So you know, and is, is that as like Baiju as a category, or is that just specifically the brand that you referred to, which has government ownership? So that's as a whole, but within, I mean, I remember we did a we did an episode where we talked about like the top five selling brands of um, of the year, and I think three of them were Baiju companies, at least two. And it was no so, kidding. yeah, it was so crazy. And there's actually, and we, it's still in our bucket list, but there is um, a Baiju bottle that exists at like our local Total Wine, you know, retailer mm -hmm. that it was like a 375 for $500 or something outrageous <laughs> like that, that we do eventually want to drink, but we just, you know, have to find a way to justify that cost. Um but yeah, it's, know, like, it's a write-off. Drew, have you have you, you you've had Baiju, right? Yes. So I I've had, and in fact, I just I was cleaning up a bunch of my alcohol collection over the weekend, and I came across the one and only Baiju I've I've ever had, and it was a little Green 50, River? 
It was, yep, it was the Ming River, the little 50 ml that I have. And it's available here in Sacramento, like um, at one of our local retailers called Cordy Brothers. Um, they carry a couple of different Baijus. I just huh. was, I was just never crazy about it to the point where I was like, I definitely need a bottle in my collection, you know? Um, <laughs> right. What, what do you think? It has a very flavor? distinct flavor. It does. Yeah. What, what, what's that flavor for? I mean, for a lot of the people who are listening, they probably haven't had it. What do you care to, how do you care to just like sort of qualify it, quantify it? Um, Christina, why don't, why don't you start? Cause I have some thoughts and I want, but I want you, how about you say, give yours first and I'll give mine. So I've only had Ming River. I've not tried any other Baiju. Okay. So um, I'm the same. To me, it almost, so it's sorghum, right? Yes. It is. Yep. Um, yep. To me, it almost has um, an artificial, uh, an artificial sweetener taste to it, even though it absolutely doesn't have any artificial sweetener. Do you know what I mean? Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. It is very fun to play with in cocktails. So, so sorghum is actually something that's been, um, it's a type of grass uh, as well. Right. And sometimes there's been some sorghum production like distillation in, um, in the U S and when it was used in the U S it was actually classified as rum. And, huh. and I actually think that's a, cause there's, there's other rums that I've had that I think are pretty close to it. Um, to your, to your point about the artificial kind of sweetener to it. I think of that as almost like a bubblegum type yeah. of taste. Yep. Yeah. It's like a, it's like one of those, uh, God, what was it? The, you know, the, those pink, those big pink ones, you know, bubble tape, but well, it wasn't bubble tape, but it, they came in like the little like red, white or red, yellow, and blue, um, little and wrappers. It had like the watermelon in the middle. Bazooka. Like... Yeah. Bazooka. It was bazooka oh. gum. Yeah. So, um, That's not what I was saying. So uh, well, we, uh, maybe I, I could be misclassifying it, but it was like, but that's the taste that I get. It also reminds me that. of, um, there was a rum that was produced on uh, Reunion Island from the Savannah Distillery that La Maison Velier did a bottling of a couple years ago. And Chris, I brought it into the shop once. And to me, the Baijiu and that one were very similar. Um, hmm which I think is, I mean, and again, so it's, it's, it was, it's kind of bubblegum. It's definitely very high octane. Like you're getting the alcohol on it. And, um, you know, the crazy thing is, is in the way that, you know, and I probably should have followed up on this, but like in, in the Chinese culture, um, they're just drinking this with every meal. It's just, it's every meal it, it's having it. And so that's why like the consumption numbers are being so high in addition to their population, which I think is like 1.8 billion people. So, you know, that's a, right. that's a lot of consumption being, uh, taking place, but it is, it's definitely something that if you are, um, interested in expanding your palate, I think it's very, very, uh, it's something you should definitely mess with. You know, another thing that it tastes like is that coconut distillate that we had from Thailand as well. So, um, we'll have to bust that one back out and maybe do some comparisons. I'll grab, I'll grab the Ming river, I'll grab the coconut distillate and the Savannah will do a flight of just like weird <laughs> tasting distillates from a around the phantasm. But it's no, also, I, I, go I, ahead, uh, Chris. I, I have 
funny enough, several baiju on my on my shelf at home. Uh, I've got one that's classified as a vodka here. Um, it's it's literally baiju vodka, which is freaking weird. That's interesting. And I it's guess. super neutral. I mean, it, and it tastes like uh, rice vodka. You know, I, it's, hmm. I've got Ming River, which tastes more like the rum. And I've got a third mm-hmm. one that's yeah. like sort of somewhere in the middle. Oh, you know what? I've got a fourth one, which is like a legit moonshine that uh, a friend of a friend gave me uh that is infused with a lotus flower as well and that shit is awesome it is uh i have no idea which friend of which friend gave it to me it showed up here at the house during the holidays at one point in time it's literally in a liter bottle with a flower in it and it's it's fire it's so good it's it's just outrageous what is what does a lotus flower taste like uh floral (laughs) <laughs> I, like, I mean, like gra- grassy and floral I, it's fucking is it nasty. herbaceous <laughs> no it's like um it's like riesling and like pinot grigio and uh like muscatel. okay you know Fuck. like it's it's that like it's that big bloomy mm-hmm. sweet flower i hear you well how would you describe the difference between herbaceous and floral because I who think are, for who are you asking? I'm asking you, Chris, because like because Christina went that route with it and you were like, no, that's definitely not what I'm <laughs> yeah. thinking so, after so, giving a after giving I, a floral I understand note. what he was focusing on. So her, her, herbs <laughs> being, you know, like um rosemary, thyme, you know, like that they, they have like a certain depth to them and florality being like bright and so if you taste something flowery. that you would describe as as grassy, would you not describe that as herbaceous? All right, we're getting into fucking nuances here that are just about <laughs> but, but okay, but I do yeah, think that's Im- I think it's important it's important to talk about because you know I, I think a lot of a lot of our listeners are are newer to to spirits or like they I mean they certainly haven't drank as much as we have. So it's like that doesn't so, seem you know, much. Well, yeah, but I mean, but but finding ways to describe this stuff, and I and I think it's interesting because I, you know, when we've talked about this numerous times, like I stay away from specific tasting notes as as much as possible. But you know, I think floral and herbaceous are descriptive enough without completely, you know, leading someone down a pathway. So I was just curious. I was curious I would, how I would you guys say, would go. That. I would say grassy is one of those like middle middle ground tasting notes like it it can go either way you can go to herbaceous with grassy or you can go floral with grassy it's you know it's green it tastes green right like when Mm -hmm. when green is a flavor profile what does that mean like okay well (laughs) you know is it like green bell pepper is it is it like Mm -hmm. fresh cut grass is there like a tinge of gasoline from the lawnmower is is there is it grassy (laughs) like uh like a fucking baseball diamond is it grassy you know like there's a whole lot of areas that you can go none of it means anything except to the person that's like hearing it and tasting it um but Mm -hmm. I think that grassy is like that complementary flavor profile. So if I'm saying it's like floral and grassy, then you know that it's like, it's like green with like flowers. So we could think of like spring meadow or some shit like that. Or if we think like grassy 
and herbaceous, then we're thinking, uh, you know, like maybe we're rolling around in the backyard and there's like a, there's an herb bush, maybe there's some like mint or rosemary or something like that that's nearby, you know, so it, it, it's all drawing upon memory, but um, I think there's different areas we can go. I don't think grassy itself is ever like really uh, like a, an independent tasting note. And I say that and now, of course, like in my mind, I'm like going to like all these fucking like Alsatian, like Pinot Gris and shit like that. that I've had. <laughs> right. I think the moral of the story is just, you know, drink lots of stuff and eventually drink Baiju because if this company is <laughs> worth $500 billion, they have to be doing something right. You know, right. They can't, I mean, they can't one would making... fucking hope, right? Yeah. It's like 1.43 billion can't people making... can't hope be wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> right uh absolutely i think that's i think that's it so um so if you're looking to invest look into chinese baiju companies because those are if you can afford it if you yeah if you could afford it because those uh <laughs> they're they're getting more expensive every day it's like the new bitcoin bitcoin or dogecoin it's a new doge it's a new doge market watch all right so Catch it up from last week. MGP closes this week and continues its climb up to $68.53 today. On top of that, we have the Kwai Chow Mutai uh, rallying to become one of the world's most valuable consumer goods. From a year ago today in February, uh, the stock price was at $996 uh, per share. Today at closing bell, it has... Uh, moved its way all the way up to $2,604. So if you were invested in Chinese Baiju, you're probably feeling pretty good about life right now. You know who's dope? Them over there. <laughs> okay, so each week we like to give our listeners some really, really super dope people to follow. Uh, it could be a blog. It could be another podcast, a website, book, Whatever the case is, uh, we want you guys to to check out fun things. It's not always just uh, industry related, but we try to make it that as much as possible. So, with that said, Christina, I know you don't think anybody is dope, per your comment earlier. <laughs> but that is correct. Is there anybody that you think people should check out, either on social media or whatever other form of? communication that you agree with that i agree with or just yeah. that kind of entertains me or sure let's do that let's do entertains because we got a regression of straws here so let's uh what who entertains you that other people would be entertained by um i'm trying to i'm looking on instagram currently because i just started following openly gay animals and they... amazing that's what it that that's, is what the instagram like account is called done um that's great but they <laughs> they they post really great stuff um I, yeah i don't know what's the what what's the user handle openly gay animals done popped up i'm following yep that's incredible. I'm very excited about this i don't go on instagram often but i find that when i do something from them pops up and it's fantastic thank you my husband just brought me a shot of frenette 
Oh, so cheers, gentlemen. Um, otherwise, have you guys heard of the Good Bottle cheers podcast? Uh, we have. No one follows. We them. dabble. Oh, okay. Dabble well, people should follow that as well. <laughs> that's kind of you. I mean, I feel like you're preaching to the choir here, but that's that fine. might be the dopest follow of all time. Yeah. <laughs> See. Well, thank you. Dopest follow ever. Um, Chris, who's your dope follow this week? Uh, so mine is a historical podcast. It is a, a like a people's uh, people's history. So that means it's it's related uh, via personal experience. Uh, it's not academic in any way. It's just an amalgamation of like of a collective experience of, of folks. It's called It Did Happen Here, and it's a uh, a podcast, an 11, 11 episode podcast of uh, people's recounting their experience. Uh, fighting, fighting um, white supremacy and uh, fascism in Portland in the 1980s. And it's really cool, and it comes it comes at it from a like a punk and skinhead perspective, uh, and it's really super interesting. Uh, Portland still being one of the whitest cities in America uh, really explains really? A, a lot of the history. Yeah, um, surrounding that and why that why that remains so and why it's uh why it's important to pay attention to and and how how you can take lessons from the recent recent past and move forward with them it's a it's really cool um there's a lot of great music in there if you're into punk uh punk music and and sort of uh people people's subculture and movements it's a it's really educational really well done um uh produced what was it called uh it did happen here Gotcha. Very cool. Um, I just finished the last episode, uh, like maybe two days ago. It was great. Uh, strongly support. Strongly, strongly suggest it. Very good. Yeah, I'll definitely check that one out. Um, I, as a as an addition to that, the one time I've been to Portland, I definitely had that thought of there's a lot of white people here. <laughs> so <laughs> I definitely felt that way. Um, so I I am have an Instagram account for you guys as well. And it is, um, and I don't, I don't know how this is supposed to be pronounced, but I don't know if it's supposed to be like Vado Soda, but it's V-A-T-0-S-0-D-A. And it is a relatively new Instagram account. It only has like, it has less than 200 followers, but it does all types of industry related memes. And according to them, they're, they're veteran operated, bartender operated. So that's just those, that combination of a person, you know, is going to have a pretty intense personality. And uh, I have found great joy and laughter in a lot of stuff. And Chris, I actually tagged you on one of them today. And it was uh, breaking news. Diageo preemptively picks white person to win world-class U.S. And I just died when i read that um and then of course the can you spell that, that again so i can look them up yes v-a-t-0-s-s-0-d-a uh, so vato like vatos locos forever got yeah, it like yeah vato soda uh it's it's just hilarious and there's there's so many great little memes and shots that it takes at people in our interest in our industry and um there's just a lot of posts here and not enough people are following it yet. So um, 
there's just I, I love this account. It cracks me up. Just so funny. So again, those are uh, those are some really really dope follows for everybody to check out this week. The Good Bottle Podcast is produced, edited, and awkwardly researched by these two guys. Uh, the music is by the Brothers Moore, because we all want some more. And before we go and kill these bottles that we've been drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review with like a nice uh, nice little something-something. You know, you just you just tag that review and you, you, you write a little something-something. Thanks. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts, D Garrison Six or Chris Sinflair. Christina, if people wanted to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to do that? Smoke signals. Smoke signals. <laughs> <laughs> JKLOL. Um, you can find me on Instagram. No, Christina, no. <laughs> i'm not joking oh my god so (laughs) um you can also support the podcast and our brand new soundboard that we're hoping to purchase by checking out anchor.fm slash good bottle podcast if you would like for us to cover a story or if you are working with a brand that wants to be featured please email us at the good bottle podcast at gmail.com and as a reminder, if you want to purchase any of the bottles that we drink on this episode tonight, you can check out thegoodbottleshop.com or send No Christina No a message and get that cocktail recipe from her so you can drink it all the time and stay hydrated. Uh, so until next time. Cheers. 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 Mom, I'm going to Disney World. Go to Portland. Some strip clubs. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs>